I've done enough talking, so I'm going to introduce our topic, and then I'm going to bring our panelists. Okay? Are you guys ready? They're on pins and needles, ready to go. Let me tell you about our topic. Ready? Choosing a forever home. The truth about it. Staying put or moving on. All right, I'm going to take a survey of the room. How many of you in the room right now would just soon not ever move out of where you're currently living? Raise your hand. Look around. Okay. How many of you at some point in time plan to move because you know where you're living now isn't going to work for you? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a few. And how many of you are only going to move if somebody carries you out forcibly? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So here's why we have this topic. You know, I'm, I've been in real estate now for 30 some odd years. And it wasn't until I got my doctorate that I heard the word forever home. And there were two or three people that I interviewed that called the house they were in their forever home. And I thought, what's a forever home? And so I, I've been using that term for a while. But here's what people call their forever home. They said, Nikki, this one guy said, Nikki, you're selling our third forever home. And it turns out you're helping us move into our fourth forever home. We're hoping this will be our final forever home. And I thought, well, what in the world? How does that happen? And he said, well, I had a forever home, and she had a forever home, and our spouses passed away. And then we bought a new forever home together, and now that house is too big for us and has a lot of stairs, so we're moving to, this happened to be somebody who moved to a retirement community, and they said, so this should be our last forever home. So what is a forever home? A forever home is for somebody who thinks they're going to be there, what? Forever. But here's what the society calls a forever home, similarly, aging in place. Have y'all heard that term? AARP magazine writes about it all the time. It's a sociologist or academic's term. But here's what I hear from people that means aging in place. I'm staying put. I or we aren't moving no matter what. Same as staying put. This is the best place today and will continue to be the best place forever. My spouse won't move, so well, here we are. And I can't afford to live anywhere else, which happens too, right? Those are some of the reasons people stay put, okay? Now, last but not least, I want to just point this out, because you're going to hear our panel today talk about different reasons that, you know, people can, can get their house equipped for what the long haul, I call it, right? So there are two types of moves that people make, and they're reactive and proactive. And let me tell you something. We have a move management company that helps people move, and there's a big difference between moving reactively and moving proactively. There's also a big difference between staying put reactively and staying put proactively. Okay. Reactive is obviously, we never thought we'd live this long, so we didn't really consider this might be a problem. And my broker used to always say, Nikki, it's not a problem until it's a problem. And then react or proactive is considering that we could live into our 90s or beyond, we've decided to make some changes or, pla changes or plans now just in case. And that's what we hope that you will choose to do. If Whether you're staying put or moving, you have to plan to get older. Because what's the alternative? You're planning to die. And most of you that are here don't look like you're in any readiness 
to just do that. So why don't we plan for the alternative? So, all right, so let's get rolling. Uh, turn to your neighbor while my panelists are coming up. Come on up, guys, ladies and gentlemen. And turn to your neighbor and say, this is a beautiful place to learn some today. Go ahead, tell them. This is a beautiful place to learn something today. Come on up, guys. So, Eddie, you're on that far end. Shannon, you're on the first chair up here. All right, Renita, you're next to Shannon there. Awesome. Okay, can we give them a round of applause? Yeah. Smile for the camera. They're going to take a picture of us. Ready? Yay! All right. Kathleen is milling around and taking pictures. Um, she's one of my favorite people. She takes such great pictures. And don't worry, when she takes your pictures, she takes 10 to 15 pounds off, ladies. It's a beautiful thing, I'm telling you. All right, it's automatic. It's, right, Kathleen, it's automatic. The camera is good. All right, so are y'all ready? All right, so I like to surround myself with a bunch of smart people. And uh, today is no different. And so I've got some pretty amazing folks. Now I'm gonna have them introduce themselves. And by way of introduction, I'm going to ask them to tell you who they are and why they are knowledgeable about this topic, why they were asked to be on the panel. All right. So I'm going to start on the far end, Shannon. Eddie, go ahead and start. Tell us who you are and why you're knowledgeable about this topic. What made you so knowledgeable about this? Okay. My name is Eddie Sisson. And uh, 1982, I built a small five-unit complex for seniors in Okina, Oklahoma. Uh, at that time, we was kind of way ahead of our time, but uh, there were several amenities that they had and uh, pull strings. The hospital was just a block and a half away, so we tried to take care of things. It's, uh, nowadays, there's a lot more advances. Uh, built a forever home in 2004 while doing a small uh, subdivision out in uh, East Oklahoma City. My wife was in family and health in 2000, and so that's where we realized we needed to have uh, some uh, different structures. Then uh, built a uh, smaller downsized uh, in 2016. Another forever home, Eddie? Uh, for definitely, forever <laughs> home. And so that was two forever homes, and uh, that's uh, where I'm at uh, now. Uh, I have a fiance which uh, has a forever home in Lone Wolf, Oklahoma. And she, uh, I lost Kathy about five years ago. She lost Lerman a little over two years ago. But it's closer to hospitals, doctors, shopping. And uh, so we've been fortunate and everyone isn't always, but uh, we were able to be proactive in these things other than for the death of our spouses. So. So Eddie's going to tell us some more about his forever homes in a minute, but can I just finish your, finish your introduction off? Please. So Eddie uh, had me out to his house a few years ago when we had a similar topic like this, but he wasn't on the panel. And he said, I'd like you to come take a look at my house and see what I've done and see what you think. And I thought, okay, the next time I do a panel, he's on it. Because he and his wife Kathy, his, uh, his late wife Kathy, did an amazing job of creating a space that she could use in a wheelchair and a scooter as her condition worsened and he did a phenomenal job and so uh, that's why he's on the panel today we're going to talk about that house and some of the features in it right eddie 
Correct. All right, perfect. All right, good. Marilyn, tell us about yourself while you're here and who you are. My name is Marilyn Olson. I'm with Villages OKC, and uh, we're a group that uh, decided that if we don't die, we better plant. So that's what we're all about. <laughs> I, I'm sort of like the farmer's commercial. I've seen a few things, and I've learned a few things. And uh, in my one of my previous lives, it's kind of like Forever Homes, I have a lot of those pre previous lives, I did open uh, help open 10 retirement communities, and uh, in the process, have introduced about a thousand people. And you listen to their stories, you learn a little bit. And then personally, I've uh, cared for some family members that probably has taught me the most. Uh, my husband's parents and my parents uh, had difficulty coming to town to stay with us when we had a two-story home. So that was our first kind of wake-up call. We needed to make some adjustments if we wanted them to come and visit with us and uh, wanted them to, to stay overnight. Uh, and then subsequently, there was my Aunt Jessie, there was my Aunt Ina, was I was responsible for, uh, my mother who lived with us till past 100. So I need to be preparing for longevity because it's highly likely that it's going to be happening and to make those kind of changes. So in the process, I've learned a lot. Uh, right now, uh, my husband's mother is 100, going on 102 and uh, coming home from Texas after fishing for her birthday. So we, we have a lot of work to do, and we don't need to pretend that it's, uh, it's going to be in the by and by. Excellent. All right, cool. Anna, tell us a little bit about you and what makes you an expert on this. Thank you for uh, having me. My name is Anna Young. I work at Landmark Fine Homes in one of our Springs editions, which is uh, we're a custom builder, and the Springs communities are for empty nesters looking to downsize. It's a 55 plus age targeted community that we have four of. I'm in the Southwest uh, Oklahoma City location. Uh, also on a personal note, my parents both had pneumonia and were hospitalized for about uh, a couple of weeks in November. And so I found out that I am the default caregiving child. Um, and we are one of the reactive families as opposed to proactive families. And let me tell you, it's not a good place to be in. Well, that was a nice disclosure. Thank you for being honest, because not all of us have our stuff together, which is why we're doing this, right? Pro professionally, I do. Personally, I don't. There you go. And isn't that true for so many of us, right? Yeah, good. And by the way, Anna, before I go to Renita, Anna mentioned a word uh, about age-targeted community. There are some definitions on your handout. If you hear a word that you're not sure what it is, refer to your handout, and we may circle back to that in a few minutes, all right? All right, Renita, share with us. I'm Ronita Smalley, actually, I just got married, and so I forget that sometimes. Um, but I work for New View, Oklahoma, and we're a low vision clinic, and so we work with people who have, um, our, our biggest population are people who have uh, age-related eye diseases. And so I have a lot of experience with that professionally, and we do a lot of training in the home to help people age in place or have their forever home. So um, so that's my professional side. On the personal side, I'm also legally blind. I'm 62 now, but I've been legally blind since I was 17. And so I've lived in a lot of different houses. And over the years, I've figured out a lot of things that would really make my life a lot easier. And um, I recently remarried. We, we remodeled the kitchen, so I put some of those things in there. But um, I, he's going to have to have um, an explosion under him to move him out of that house and we live in <laughs> Luther and uh, so I am not in my forever home yet and probably won't be for a while I'll be that reactive person <laughs> right so you're on that list of my husband doesn't want to move so here we are all right cool and so you're making do in a lot of ways and we're going to talk about those ways yeah perfect all right Shannon my name is Shannon Steiger I am the listing specialist for Buckley Realty Group 
the odd part of my story is that I actually found the Buckaloos and the Certified Senior Housing Professionals because of my personal experience with um, being reactive with a family and having grandparents that needed assistance quickly because of unexpected health issues. And every time we turned around as a family, someone was telling us that something had to happen in the next 24 to 48 hours. And we were going, hold on, we don't even know how to do that. How does this happen? And I kept raising my hand. And if you know me, I'm not bashful about raising my hand. And I kept saying, isn't there a book? Something has to tell us how to do this so that we're not trying to do this over in 24 hours. So long story short, there was no book. And we went through the deep end and figured out how to take care of my grandparents. But then I became a realtor about eight years ago and met the Buckaloos. And she began telling me about this process. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's a book. <laughs> and this is the book I was looking for. And so in the last seven years, I have continued my education and experience through my clients and through the Buckaloos and through these wonderful educational partners and how to help people be proactive instead of reactive and then how to help people who when they're reactive at the same time. So that's kind of my experience. It's funny because I office across the hall from Shannon and she'll get a phone call and I can hear her in there coaching and consulting people on things and I'm like, you know what, we've come a long way, haven't we? Absolutely. We've learned a lot in eight years about um, the book that doesn't exist that we're having to write. Right, Anna? Yeah, all right, good. So do we have a, a good lineup here, right? Yeah. the panel is what should people be thinking about as it relates to the suitability of their current house so they go home today they look around their house how would you have them look at it differently or what would the things that you would have them look at um, so that they can ask themselves is this house going to work for me for the long haul um, who wants to start Eddie I'll start okay go for it there's a handout that you have right here and, uh, on the house that we built uh, on my cheat sheet notes I had uh, no steps garage uh, or the house or patio the porch uh, wide doors to the halls uh, proper height uh, uh, toilets what's proper Eddie well it depends okay <laughs> so uh, uh, mostly higher the older you get because it's harder to get up and down uh, but uh, you know uh, there are heights restricted folks and stuff but uh, gen as a general rule higher okay okay uh, then uh, proper lighting uh, above ground storm shelters uh, controls uh, in, that are easy to get to uh, so there's just a lot of things. We have some extra stuff that's in our house, but we also have a generator, a higher countertops. That was just easier for Kathy at that time. A water spigot over the stove so that she wouldn't have to haul water. She couldn't carry it from the sink over to the stove. And so these are just things that are here. <clears throat> One of the things on the amenities is uh, you don't always get to build from scratch. You have to work with what you have. And so there's a lot of people up here besides me that are educated in that area, and so do the best that you can. When we're talking about proactive and reactive, 
is that you're fortunate if you can be proactive. We don't all get that opportunity because things come up unexpected. Sure. So when you have to do it reactive, there are people up here that can help you along the way. Nobody wants anything. There's just needs that are coming along. If you have the opportunity to be proactive and don't, shame up. <laughs> oh my gosh, Eddie just shamed on everybody. All right. I didn't have to do it. Eddie did it. Okay. Eddie, thank you. We're going to circle back to a few of those points that you brought up. Uh, Shannon, you want to go next? Eddie's what? list is amazing. And sometimes people get pretty overwhelmed with that list and there's in their mind they're thinking I can't afford that list in the current house that I have. So really looking at the overall accessibility of your house and where you're at now and what you're planning in the future. If we make this grocery list of items and think we're going to do it in a year, we're probably setting ourselves up for failure. But if you know and your plans are that my bathroom needs to be remodeled because one, it's ugly. Um, two, I don't like it. But the third part then is when I'm remodeling it and I know that this is going to be my forever home, then how can I make it work for me in the future as well as, as it is now? I'm going to tell you, my clients have been some of the most creative, unique, out-of-the-box thinkers I have ever seen to the point that sometimes they scare me. Um, so when you have to think so far out of the box that you will not tell your neighbor, your best friend, or your children what you are doing, that is probably something that should be addressed as an accessibility issue. Yeah, me. So when you say creative, it's the adaptability. They're trying to adapt what they have creatively. Correct. And not wanting their kids to know because their kids might make them think, maybe make them move is what you're thinking. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, Renita, you mentioned some things. When they look at their current house, what are some things to look at? Well, lighting absolutely is one of the biggest things, but even like, even like being in here. So one of the things that I put on the list is good blinds where you can adjust the lighting from outdoors. Because when we came in, those, those blinds were all the way up, and they lowered them. And I was really glad because the glare, the glare was getting to me. And does that affect people with low vision or blindness more so than someone who doesn't have that? Yeah, but everybody who, as they age, everybody starts to have more issues with glare controls. And um, and so being comfortable in your house, being able to adjust the lighting with your blinds is really good. We just remodeled our kitchen, and um, so some of the things that we did in there, and we didn't have to buy a new house to do it, but when we did the appliances, what I found was um, a stovetop that has all, it's, a, it's a glass top, but it has all the controls out on the front. And so I don't have to lean over my stove in order to be able to, con to, to get to the controls because I can't see them well enough. I have to get really close. It's easier for me to do it out here than it is way back here. So um, the other thing is I found a microwave that the, the controls are right at eye level and they go all the way across the bottom of that microwave. So I don't have to stand on my toes and get my face close to the microwave to change things or to make my selection. On my dishwasher, um, instead of me having to get down on my knees, because like Eddie said, we don't get up and down as, easy as, we, as easily as we once did, um, they make the dishwashers now with the controls across the top of the door. That's amazing, because you set it before you shut the door, and I can look down on it and get close to it without having to squat down to look at the front. Um, I, I can put bump dots on just about any control, and I know what's the on and off switch, 
but being able to actually get get right in front of it and do it, it makes all the difference in the world. So, Renita, to your, I'm going to just kind of digress a little bit, if you don't mind, with your topic, because I've had, uh, I know Shannon has two multiple clients with macular degeneration, and they know going into it, this is going to be progressive. And right now they can see, but they may have some challenges. But over time, they're being told that they may be completely blind at some point. So at what point, Renita, and this is not a sales pitch because Renita actually works at a not-for-profit. So I'm going to plug them here a little bit. What, at what point should someone start figuring out how to read those kind of dot labels and figure out how to do those kind of things? So our, our threshold is... If, really is if the doctor tells you there's nothing else that he can do for your vision but he can't get you corrected back to 2020 even if you're at 2050 let's start looking at those things now because if you start to look at them now and you learn to grow with it it's so much easier than if it's just all of a sudden overnight oh my gosh I've got to I've got to learn how to do this and and now I can't see it so don't wait for a long period of time and the really cool part I'll give a little plug is um, it's still free of charge uh, we have a, a, a grant, so if you're 60 and over and live in this area, you don't even have to pay for the services. Right. So, um, so it's it's really good to start early. So vision adaptations are a big one, right? We all worry about physical, like we think about ramps and we think about steps and handrails and grab bars, but how many people are thinking about how they need to adapt for their vision? And that's a big one. You know, it's funny, after you talked about that, we did a little phone call early before this panel. I went home and I was cooking something on the stove. I know it doesn't happen very often, but occasionally I do. And all of our controls are, like you said, they're in the back. And I had to reach over to turn, and I went, that's what she's talking about. And if you're not paying attention, that can be an issue. And so I appreciated that. And I thought, if I were to get a new stove, now I know, just replace it with one. I don't have to do that. Yeah. Okay. So, Anna, if you were to go home today and look around your house, uh, if, they, if the audience did, what should they be looking for? Well, the biggest accessibility issue that I discovered when I was taking care of my parents, I had my parents move in with me for a month because their house was a little bit easier for them to live in, but it was... 45 minutes away from me, so I didn't feel very comfortable leaving them on their own and I couldn't stay with them. Uh, my guest room is on the opposite side of the house as the bathroom. And my father uh, found out he needed physical therapy, he was having a hard time breathing, he needed a walker, and so he ended up sleeping on the couch next to be near the bathroom. Um, little things like that, we have a couple of steps in our house, up and down, um, makes it a lot more difficult. Um, the uh, width and hallway width, turn radius, things like that. Um, lots of carpet that he had to walk through and trudge through. Um, just a lot of different issues. Sure. Um, and on personal note, or I guess a professional note from some of my customers, just having a two-story that they never use, that they're heating and cooling and hoping that the grandkids are gonna come and visit, and they do maybe once a year, so they don't use it nearly as much as they think they do. Um, property taxes are higher on a bigger house, so maybe downsizing is the right option. And a lot of times it's actually an objection from the children. Um, they don't want you to sell their, their childhood home. Yeah. So it's a little selfish on their part as opposed to you know helping you downsize and move into something that's a little bit more convenient for you and your lifestyle. Um, so those are the big things I would say. All right, Marilyn, you're up. People who know what's coming should prepare. And I've been fortunate enough to see uh, in our family with some longevity kind of what's coming. So we kind of play the pretend game 
uh, although none of us ever want ourselves to be in a particular situation. But if I should break my hip and need a walker, would it go through my doorway? And so it's pretty easy just to test that. I mean, don't need somebody official to tell you. It seems to me that a lot of the ADA stuff that says that really isn't if it doesn't work. And so uh, I would say just something really practical to make sure that it really works for you in, in your home, like you were speaking, the turn radius and all that. Uh, even on the driveway, uh, getting someone out of a car and helping them is different than helping them get out of the car with a walker. Because if my driveway is sloped, it, uh, the walker rolls away, uh, or they can't get in, or it's too close to the edge and they fall or misstep into the grass. So just some details like that that are so simple until you have to really do it, and then it's a big deal. So we played the pretend game. Uh, when my girls were little, I would pretend to be blind, and so they would show me that they knew when to walk across the street. But we played the pretend game. Could I do this with a walker? So we just it's easy to borrow a walker and just try it and see. It doesn't hurt anybody. It didn't make me get ill, but it was a, it's a wonderful teaching tool just to practice like you did with your stove. That's perfect. You know, I, I'm going to tell a quick anecdotal story that makes me, you know, a couple of you said things that caught my attention. I've told you guys that came the last few months, my Uncle Donnie had been in hospice uh, in his home, wanted to stay home. He was in his forever home, small 1,500 square foot home in Yukon, Oklahoma. He was hell-bent on staying there. He wasn't moving, you know. And so he did, and the family made accommodations. But one of the challenges they had was the bathroom. His master bedroom had an attached bathroom, but it was small, no tub or anything, just a shower. But my uncle was a bigger man, and to get in and out of that bathroom was hard enough just by himself. But his mobility was, was uh, he couldn't walk because of the cancer, it basically caused him to have so much pain, he could not walk on his own. So my cousin Jeff, who is also a very big guy, was his caregiver. They couldn't get through that door together. And so they had to go single file. And my uncle fell several times because Jeff couldn't hold him up from the angle that he had to be held up. Does that make sense? And then Danielle, God love her, she's Jeff, my cousin's fiance, and she walks in and she goes, he has no grab bars in his, in his uh, shower. And so it took her like a month to get Jeff to put grab bars in the bathroom. And it wasn't we found out later because of Jeff, it was because my Uncle Donnie didn't want it to look like an old person's house. He's 76 years old, and he was not old, and by God, he did not want to have a bathroom that looked like an old person's house. So you follow me? So there are just these things that we didn't think about, and he did end up passing away in his own home on hospice. Um, but not without its challenges. Again, we're a reactive family too. Thank you very much, Anna. Until today. Until today. Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a funny thing that you talk about grab bars because when I started in real estate, grab bars did indicate that this was a old person's home. It has changed because um, people are now thinking about Will this work if my parents are here, if my grandparents are here? Uh -huh. They have seen those challenges, and the grab bars, in all fairness, have become much yeah. more fashionable. People don't even think about they them. They don't even think about them because they're in every restaurant, they're in every, every hotel, they're in every um, shopping center. It's now a norm. And they're so more aesthetically pleasing. They are. Than they they're they're fashionable. Yeah. They don't stand out. So know that some of the accommodations for accessibility um, 
are trendy. Yeah. Do so it. It, it's, a, it. it's a real change in philosophy. I agree 100%. Shannon, we call that a smart home. A smart home. Yeah. yeah. What, really quick, just I'm going to ask the panel, what do you guys think, uh, as people go home, we're talking about things that they have to do, like equipment or remodeling and whatnot. What about just rearranging uh, or getting rid of things to make room? Or what about rugs, things like that? Um, Renita? So we all love our throw rugs, but um, they're dangerous because most of them will slip and slide and, um, and they're gonna trip you. So that's one of the problems. Um, gosh, there's... No. There's lots of problems, is what you're saying. <laughs> there's, there's lots of problems, but um, it, it's just, you've got to really watch what you, what you put in your house. The clutter that we collect over the years really, it, it really feels good to purge that. You'll see after you do it. <laughs> it's hard to do, but it is a good idea. And if you're visually impaired or if you're walking around with a, with a walker or, or um, using a wheelchair, you need to have the space open, but not as, as far as being visually impaired. You don't want to rearrange your furniture all the time either. Right. You want to put it in a place and leave it there. Perfect. So. Okay, so when everybody, this is your action item, just based on that question alone, and then we're going to move on to the next question. But the action item I heard from the panel was to go on and pay better attention to the things that could be a potential trip hazard or a potential heat hazard for your stove and things like that. Um, and future potentials and your what Marilyn called your what ifs, right? Play the pretend game and ask yourself what if. Nikki, one uh, good way to do that is to think about your friends. Uh, all of us have friends and we see it in them, we just don't see it in ourselves. Right. And so when I have a friend, or I even read in the newspaper that someone, whatever, fell, slipped the, the rug, then that's my, that's my caution light to go double check and yeah. play the footage. Sure, you learn from other people's experiences. Right. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about should someone want to move from where they are? And some people may be thinking, you know, my house is too big, it's a two-story, I've been wanting to downsize, or I live out in the country, I want to move in, that kind of thing. Um, or just even closer to their kids, possibly. What should they be um, thinking about? And uh, Anna, I'm going to ask you to, to talk a little bit about the definitions in their handout. You mentioned earlier um, there are certain types of communities that are really kind of designed for people that are empty nesters or retirees or downsizers. What are those called and how would people know if what they are? There are two types of active adult communities. Um, active adult communities in general are targeted towards 55 plus. Age-targeted versus age-restricted are the two different delineations. Age-restricted means that 80% of the residents have to have one, at least one member, 55 or older. Um, and then the age-targeted are marketed towards 55 plus, like ours, where it's empty nesters looking to downsize, but we don't necessarily have a cap. We don't check your ID to make sure you're over 55 because it's more for us, it's more of a lifestyle um, where we've got certain things that do cater towards older folks, such as zero step entry, ramscapes, things like that. Um, all of our master uh, suites have um, larger doors, and that's just a natural thing, so you don't necessarily scream, this is an old person's home, but it just makes it a little bit more accommodating. Now, Anna, uh, I'm gonna play devil's advocate, and you're biased, and I'm biased, right, because we know about your communities, but are there builders, or are there communities out there across the country that might say their age friendly, but aren't necessarily as much. 
So particularly with a lot of um, out-of-state customers coming in from Florida and California, where they have true age-restricted communities, no children allowed, um, that's a very different situation than, for instance, the age-targeted. And I always like to, to stress it's age-targeted right. because there might be children who move in next door to you. And one of the reasons why we created it as age-targeted instead of age-restricted is to be more grandchildren-friendly. So we get a lot of um, a lot of you know 55, 65 year old uh, folks who want to have their grandkids live with them for the summer, and so it's a little bit. Um, if, if you try to live in an age restricted community with no children, it's going to be upsetting for you to see a lot of yeah. children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Shannon, you remember that time we looked in the newspaper and we were so excited because we saw the article about the builder, it wasn't Landmark, it was a different local builder, that said they were building age-friendly communities and you went out and toured them and came back so disappointed. What was that about? They had made some basic accommodations, but it was still very, it was actually geared more towards first-time home buyers than it was for my seniors, because if I took some of my clients who'd already owned homes into these homes, they were very basic, but they were, um, just be frank, they were charging a lot for the accommodations, and it was not something that they would... They weren't well-built. They weren't well-built. Yeah. They weren't completed. Yeah. So that, and then somehow... They were not totally yeah. accessible. They yeah. would make accommodations right. in the bathroom, yeah. or they may make accommodations with some of the doorways, but maybe not the best doorways right. that they should have made accommodations for. Yeah. I'm going to say it because I'm, I'm the one that tells the truth. They did a crappy job is what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and, and that's why when we found Landmark, I was like, okay, this is a different product. And I'm really grateful for that. And one of the kind of notations and things to notice, because a lot of realtors don't try to show our houses because they don't understand what we're trying to do. Um, so we took our advice from our current customers. We've been around for 22 years. About seven years ago, you know, they their kids had moved away. They needed to downsize, but everything that was on the market was a starter home because if it's a smaller square footage, it tends to be a starter home. So uh, 1550 to 2200 square feet, it's really hard to find the nice luxury things that you become accustomed to in your 4,000 square foot home. So at our price point, it's tends to restrict a lot of that. There's really no, it's not a first time right. homeowner, not entry level, no, certainly not. Unless their parents are buying it for them or seeing that. If you've got a trust fund or you win the lottery, certainly, absolutely, yeah. but for the most part, it's, you know, the empty nesters looking to downsize, because that's the, yeah. if, if you're a younger family, you'd rather have a larger house at that price point, right. I would think. Sure. All right, so I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. I'm going to go back to Eddie, because Eddie built a lot of houses uh, for other people and for yourself. A few. A few. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the things that uh, if people are planning on building a house with the intention of staying put, um, what are some things that you think of? Um, maybe just the basic things or even the bells and whistles things? Well, if you're privileged to be able to build the house from scratch. Uh, when you're framing the house, uh, be sure that there's proper stud work, cross studs, where you're going to be wanting to put grab bars. Uh, when you build your house, uh, measure your garage. Uh, when Kathy had a, a minivan and we had a lift in the back of it that would deal with her scooters and wheelchairs. So, I used the garage at the house where we had, which was huge, but we didn't need it that big, but I pulled it in to the right distance where she could get in, where we could still walk around. She could get her scooter or wheelchair around the front of the car 
to the above ground storm shelter that we have, which has a wide door to get in, has some uh, heating and air in it so that you don't want to put a bunch of things in there, but if you put water and a few things, uh, or if you had some important papers or stuff that you wanted in there, uh, it would be climate controlled until the storm hits, of course. But then uh, uh, we measured the back of it so that uh, she could go around there and get the uh, scooter in the back, uh, up and down, uh, wide enough for she she liked to do things on herself by herself and be independent as much as possible but she could get a sack of groceries out of the car and put it on a little cart and then roll it in the house uh, we also have a heater in the garage uh, which uh, we're fortunate that so it's a little bit better climate control what about the sidewalks eddie while we're talking about outdoors the, the sidewalks uh there's not any steps coming in the front of the house, the garage, from the garage to the house, to the back porch, and there's a sidewalk that wraps all the way around the house in case you did have a fire. Uh, we're fortunate to have a fire sprinkler system as well, but uh, we just tried to, to build it where that she'd have accessibility to get in and out. She wanted to die at home, and she did die at home, and so, uh, and I don't really care. Uh, but uh, that was her wish, and uh, we was able to fulfill that. Being a funeral director, uh, when uh, we built that first little complex back in the 80s, we would go in to pick up Grandpa, and uh, well, where is he at? Well, he died at home, so we go back. Well, he's at the back bedroom, so you just take the cop back there and pick him up. Well, you can't do that. So uh, our house has uh, wider halls, and where the back bedrooms, the Jack and Jill end of the house, the uh, corners are at 45 degree angles. So that way, when the funeral director came, we said, we'll just take the cot on back there. Well, we don't think we can do that. I said, oh yeah, it'll work. So we've tried it out. As I was saying, go try it out, you know. So when we was building a garage, building things, uh, the stud work, the shires, just go and, and you know, the, the ADA is good and uh, uh, contractors and builders are good, but there's no substitute for horse sense. Just get after it and go look and see what you want, get a tape measure and go find out. Right. Um, and so, Eddie, I, I'm gonna just maybe put an exclamation point at the end of something you said, because when people think about their forever home, my experience has been they don't anticipate forever. They think of forever being down the road. But when y'all built your house, forever was, for Kathy, death. Now. It was now. It was now? So what I think of, so in the beginning of that process though, forever meant through the very end when she died. That's correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and how many people are thinking about it? I'm going to just be really honest. Most people don't want to talk about death and dying. They don't want to talk about it. don't want to hear about it. And certainly don't want to plan for it. And I'm going to hear, what I hear you saying is y'all plan for her end day. So as far out as can they get the cot back there to pick her up to take her to the funeral home. That's what I call planning for the forever home. That's right. What we yeah. did. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a blessing, you know. So, uh, and it's still useful after it. Like going back to the handicap bars, yeah. uh, 
I'm not ashamed of our handicap bars because uh, we got our uh, plumbing and hardware to match it. So it was. That looks nice. Okay, so I've been in Eddie's house. And if you walk through Eddie's house and he did not escort you through and tell you these accommodations and accessibility, you would not know them. Right. You would just say, this is a really cool house and you have really good taste. Right. Um, and that's all you would notice. You would not see all the rest. Mm -hmm. He thought about the details. That's what we're talking about is the details when you're building that right. new home. Did you, did he drive the scooter through the house when you were there? No, I didn't get the full court press. He, 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 took it, he took Kathy's scooter that she used to use and he drove it through the house for me and showed me how he could do donuts in the utility room and whatnot. And, and I, frankly, I mean, that was important, right? Okay, yeah, it looks great, whatever, you got wide doorways, but how does that function? And he basically, I videoed him. I wish I had those videos. I'll bring those next time. All right, good. Come get another one. I can come get another one. All right. Uh, Anna, I'm going to come back to you because that's what you guys do for a living. Now, you're not the builder. You're the sales rep. But you deal with these contractors and these builders. And when you and I visited, uh, well, Deborah, your colleague, and I visited, and she said, Nikki, she said, our contractors are asking questions when they're talking to people, even though the houses, some of them may be already under construction, but a lot of them are custom. What questions are they asking new homeowners for your community? What kind of questions are they asking them to help them prepare? Sure, uh, as Eddie was mentioning, the uh, blocking for grab bars. So having a stud to put the grab bars in. So in your typical house, you probably don't have that. So to put a grab bar in is going to be a lot more work. Whereas for us, we can do blocking and not include the grab bars. So you know, if you're you know, an active adult and not having any issues, you can put the grab bars in later if, you're, if you don't like the design aesthetic of it. Um, so things like that, um, particularly the appliances, I, might, I put that on the list. Um, a lot of people will choose a cooktop with a built-in oven, so that way they don't have to bend all the way down to the ground, basically, to pull something out of the oven that's going to be heavy and hot. So it's more up here at eye level? Right. right. Or it's, it's really wherever you want it to be. It's oh. custom. So um, sometimes we'll put the microwave in the kitchen island if somebody's in a wheelchair. Um, it depends on how you function and how you want. It's really individualized. Okay. So um, it, th that's one of the things, you know, kind of playing the pretend game is, you know, what do you think that you would want in the future? And we ask those, we ask some targeted questions like that, you know, um, you know, who's going to be living in the house? How often are you having guests? Um, are your grandkids going to be staying with you a lot? Or is it maybe once a year? Um, things like that to kind of make it a little bit more personalized and customized to you. So for the spec homes, that's perfect for somebody who's more um, reactive than uh, having a, a year to custom build. Um, so there's a lot of things that we do that accommodate that so that somebody can just move right on in. Uh, but if you can custom build because you're proactive and smart because you've been to this seminar, yeah. then you'll know some of those things to, to look out for. So I'll tell you the commonality I saw in the houses, even the spec houses that you guys had built in Eddie's house was the showers. And you know, our, my uncle's shower in, in, in comparison was this little bitty narrow, and it had a door, so then you had hinges, so it was a little bitty narrow thing, and he had to step over uh, a threshold. And both of y'all, I remember walking in, that was the first thing I looked at was this shower. And they had either walk, like you could roll in, some of them, and some of them had a little bitty maybe thing. 
um, but the doors were wide and there were grab bars in strategic places so that if I was doing it myself I could literally just walk right in and then there were benches inside uh, to sit on beautiful right built in that way and my uncle would have given anything for that but at his late stage there's no way to remodel the bathroom like that he even said my uncle uh, Daniel and I about died he said let's just remodel the bathroom right like we know he's got just a few weeks to live we're going to remodel that bathroom. I, no, that's not going to happen. That's a little too far past reactive, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Shannon, what I, hear, what I heard about that that impressed me is knowing what questions to ask and to ask those questions. Ahead that's, of time. Ahead of time. And, well, and that build, the builders asking you that question. Yeah. Because traditionally, builders are not asking you that question. They're asking questions, do you want gray or tan? What kind of carpet do you want? And do you want the bathroom here or do you want it here? It's very basic questions, not about your lifestyle. So that's really important if when you're talking to, um, to any contractor that they're asking and that they're listening to you, what you're needing and you're talking long term, not just today. Not what's trendy, Correct. but what's functional for you. And to follow up on Shannon's point, we are what's called a custom builder, a true custom builder. So there's a lot of production custom builders where they let you pick out your tile and your paint colors and things like that, but they're not going to make the special accommodations, move things around, make things wider. Um, so you need to find a true custom builder who would be able to do that. So some of, those are some of the questions you're going to want to ask. Not all builders are the same. Okay, so I'm gonna, I've got two more questions, so we're going to go fast on these because I want to open it up for everybody else. So what about things for remodel? Shannon, I know you all see this a lot. Um, Eddie, you probably saw it a lot. Things like stair lift, uh, you know, and walk. Uh, we talked about walk-in bathtubs and ramps. What are people's biggest concerns about putting those in usually? Well, usually it's that it's going to make my house look old. Um, and that they're putting it in after an emergency or it's going to tear my house up. Uh, and this is something that I can just be honest, we've just, I've learned a lot the last six months about chairlifts. We've had a lot of experience lately. I had three houses right in a row. It was unheard of, but it, we learned a lot. One, that you can move them easily. Um, they do not tear things up when they're installed pr properly. All three were removed simply. But I will tell you that my recommendation, I had one sell it beforehand and one sell it afterwards. Um, the one that sold the chairlift before, we could have resold it to the new buyers after removing it. So my suggestion is putting it in the garage and waiting to see if it's something that's needed by the new owners and then selling it afterwards. Um, so that's one. And then the second is actually the same suggestion with the walk-in bathtub. And I did not know this. I will just tell you from a selling perspective, the walk-in the walk bathtubs, they're a, they're, a, they're a large investment, and if that's something that you need and it's, I guess, recommended medically for you, know that that's not a return on your investment. Now, she's talking about bathtub, not bath shower. Tub. I'm sorry, yes, yeah, the you said the same. Yeah, sorry, shower. The, the stand-up bathtubs that you use, there's no return on your investment. Keep your bathtub in the garage with all your other stuff that you take out, plan on putting that back, and then the stand-up bathtub you will just be able to sell secondhand because there's no return on investment. Nobody wants that bathtub. Okay, so there are things, and by the way, I'm, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to tell you about the class at the library on the 24th because we're going to be really getting really granular in that class on the library about the specifics, the little things, right? And I'll talk more about that in a minute. 
because today we're kind of talking about high level stuff then we're going to get really specific about some of those remodel accessibility items uh, at that particular session too um, ramps shannon let's talk about but wheelchair ramps those are ramps are they're needed if they're needed they're needed they can be easily removed so that's something that the next owner if they need it they'll keep it if they don't they'll remove them especially the larger ramps when you're needing them in and in the front door um, ramps for the garage they just make it easy nine times out of ten they'll keep them right. um, but so the larger ramps are just easily removed so that's not an obstacle and it's something that if you need it do keep it. it do it yeah. and just know that it can be taken down all right, so my last question, um, I'm going to start with Marilyn on this one, because, you know, we talk about aging in place, and we're staying put in our forever home, and we're talking about houses, but what about the things that people may not think about related not to their house, Marilyn? Um, the house is perfect, but what else? Well, we all need community. We need purpose. We need friends we can trust. We need friends that are not just casual friends, but friends that will tell you the truth that'll tell you when you really need to listen up and so forth. And so uh, we, we know that it's important to, to listen to somebody when they say, you know, I've really noticed that you're doing this and someone that you can accept that information from, that, that good of a friend. Uh, so being connected uh, and then just making even, even special arrangements like a power of attorney for healthcare cannot be your son who is a nurse in Houston. It has to be somebody that's close. So somebody that's 20 minutes away or less, uh, that's next door that you could rely on to make good decisions for the short term. Uh, even uh, we had a neighbor who had a finger cut. It was slammed down in the grill while they were grilling. And uh, I mean, she was screaming and bleeding and she couldn't wait for somebody across town even. It was a next door neighbor. So that kind of community, that kind of close friendship has to be worked at, has to be really intentional. Um, everyone has somewhat of a network. Our goal is to connect all the good people across Oklahoma City because we need, we need more than just that. My world is shrinking, mm -hmm. and uh, so we have to intentionally increase that network, meet, meet new people, and uh, find out who I can trust and build new relationships. It's really about connection, isn't it? Right. You know, we had dinner with Chris's parents last night, and Jim said he had gone to dinner with some uh, male friends of his that uh, he's known for a very long time. And one gentleman started coming to lunch with them because another person said that this gentleman was not getting out much. And so Jim and his other friend called him and said, hey, would you go with us? And he did. And he started going now. But sometimes it takes reaching out and bringing people with because they're not going to do it themselves. Is that a fair statement? Correct. We use the word with a lot. Uh, life is a lot more interesting with someone rather than doing just something for someone. Uh, I had a gentleman late who just lost his wife, and they, the problem was he wasn't eating. Well, that wasn't the real problem. Uh, it wasn't even that he couldn't cook. The real issue was that he was lonely. And so connecting really helped resolve that issue. Uh, they ate out, and he learned to cook. So, yeah. so if you're going to stay put, whether you have to because of affordability or whatever the case may be, the connectedness is going to be important. right? Not just the safety issue, not just grab bars. But who's going to install those grab bars? <laughs> Having trusted people, right? Okay, so we're at the top of the hour. I'm going to open it up to questions. But before I do, is there anything else y'all want to add that I may have cut you off or need to circle back to? I just have one last thing. What Marilyn was talking about with connections 
and planning ahead. It's also about location, and it's kind of funny, as a, as a realtor, we say location, 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 but in Oklahoma, it's about transportation with that location. So, and I, I can tell you, I learned this from my mom. She downsized, and a huge part of her downsizing, she still drives, but she's planning for when she is not going to be able to drive. So she wanted to make sure where she moved, she had accessibility to transportation. So that's another part of the equation that we need to think about in Oklahoma because we are drivers. So tell them about where she moved, just generally. She moved to downtown Oklahoma City, and <laughs> it's because she is within walking distance of the city bus and the trolley system. The trolley system was her bigger issue, or bigger concern, and she keeps a pass, and I don't know if she's used it last month, but she keeps a pass to the trolley because it's that important to her so she knows how that she has a secondary way of getting around. Yeah, I think Shannon and I call it a trolley because we like that better, but I think if you were to look it up, they call it a street car. Oh, sorry. I think it's a trolley too, but they I call it a street car. Eddie, did you have something you wanted to add? Or? No? When we downsized, uh, we moved closer to where we would be to uh, medical facilities and doctors and shopping. Yeah, and you also mentioned that there was some consideration about your grandkids and where they lived in proximity, yeah? That's right, we moved away from some and closer to the other. Right. But, uh, the ones you like better, you move closer to, right? The, the ones we uh, moved away from were getting old enough that they could drive, and so they could come and see us and stuff. Yeah, so all those things were considerations, right? Okay. All right, so here's how we're going to go about this. This is a big room, um, and we don't have mics for everybody, so when you say your question, say it loudly, I'll repeat it back, and then I'll pass it off to the panelists, okay? So, yes, ma'am, that looks like Carol back there, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Carol, we don't have a microphone for you. Okay, say it loud. This, is a, this meeting today has been about aging. Don't wait till you've aged. If you're in your 40s and 50s, start thinking about it then. My Thanks. Just had a stroke, and we were reactive to that. How old was Jess when you had your stroke? How old? 59. Okay, and you, you wouldn't have thought in your 50s that you needed a plan for this. So Carol's advice uh, is to plan earlier. Don't wait because you don't know. So you don't wait till you're what seventy and go. Okay, now I'm getting older. I'm going to do it. Go ahead and do it. At least be prepared Well, and so I'm going to repeat back what she said, and then I'm going to do a little plug for our education partners just generally, and that is that, guys, you know, the key, what Marilyn said, is have trusted people that you can call if something happens. You've planned the best of your ability, and then life happens. We plan, and God, they always say, what is it? People plan, and God laughs. Right? Because things are going to happen, and the reality of it is whatever happens, you need to have somebody you can pick up the phone and call. That's why the Villages offers the gift program. It's why we offer education partners that we know at any moment you can pick up the phone and call any one of us. And if we can't answer the question, we can connect you to somebody who can. So thank you for that, Carol. I appreciate that. Remember your church community when you're moving. Meaning, Meaning don't move all the way across town. Don't. 
Right, stay in proximity to where your social and spiritual network is. Yeah, got it. Perfect. Okay, any questions or, um, yes ma'am? Right. Oh, great question. So she's asking, it, what would be the best type of flooring for someone uh, as they're planning? Is it tile? Is it uh, vinyl? Is it carpet? Um, that's a loaded question. I love my answer. It depends. But you guys go ahead. <laughs> Renita, we'll start with you. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, what first comes to my mind is that tile when wet is extremely slippery. And um, so... The tile is beautiful, but I have I have just um, the stained concrete, and it doesn't get quite as slick as, as uh, ceramic does. If it's done correctly. If it's done correctly. Because it can be slippery too if it's too. Yeah. Polished. It could be then because it's my husband's house and it's a really old house. It's not as slick as it once was. But um, but yeah, carpet carpets. Yeah. I wouldn't do a thick pile. If you did a thinner pile, yeah. then it'd be a, a lot better than. Then uh, it wouldn't be as much of a trip hazard. Anna, you might be suited to answer this because I know you guys are dealing with this all the time. Uh, typically, engineered wood uh, is what most people select, uh, particularly for their uh, master bed uh, master bedrooms. Um, normally, you can use most people have carpet in their living room or in their um, in their bedrooms, but particularly for your master, having uh, engineered wood, and then um, you can also have heated floors too. Uh, engineered wood is a little bit better than wood look tile, which we also do because it's not as hard, it's a little bit easier on the joints, and it's a little bit warmer as opposed to that cold tile and obviously less, less slippery. Yeah. Eddie, from personal experience, how did y'all decide what to put into your house knowing that Kathy was going to need to uh, be able to get around? Uh, we did uh, use uh, tile, but it's a non-slip tile, and uh, we have some uh, low Pile yeah, so I'm going to just say, coming from uh, the real estate perspective, here's the biggest question we get asked from people uh, is what flooring should I put in if I'm planning ahead, right? And here's the answer, is it depends. What are you planning ahead for? Are you planning ahead for possible walkers and wheelchairs? Or are you planning ahead because of a sight uh, blindness issue? Are you planning ahead because you have guests coming that have specific disabilities? So I don't, I think the answer to your question is there's no right or wrong answer. It really is very individualized. And talking with flooring experts about the pros and cons. And I'll tell you right now, there are some really innovative products out there. Matter of fact, let me do a plug for the thing at the library on the 24th. Um, uh, Able Tech, which is an OSU pr uh, program, is going to be there. And they're going to be talking about their smart home and they're going to be talking about things like that. So I bet you, I bet you money, if we can also answer that question that week, if one of us doesn't have the right answer, if that makes sense. My best suggestion is just not plush carpets. Right, for sure. Yeah. Marilyn, were you going to say something? It was profound, but I forgot it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Good question. Yes, Miss. I was wondering today, we're oh. talking about some kitchen appliances. Yep. My wife recently passed, and I didn't realize how far down she has to reach the load of dishwasher. And then how far the door came out. Is there anything on horizon of a senior 
<laughs> so his comment is, is when his wife passed and he had to do dishes himself, I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit, he realized that how low the dishwasher was to load and he's wondering is there any senior friendly uh, or mobility friendly dishwashers that we know about. Um, I thought of what I was going to say. Okay. It is, is, is it related to the dishwasher? Of course. Okay, great. <laughs> we talk a lot about personal responsibility, and one of the advantages of having good friends is that you get to dialogue with people like Eddie and learn what he's done, and then I talk with Ronita and learn what she's done, then I can make my own best decisions because no one knows exactly what's best for me, right. uh, not ADA or anybody else. So it's all about gaining information but making your own decision. Yeah, for sure. So to the point of the, the dishwasher, I think that, uh, again, as our, as our demographics have more people over the age of, say, 75 and fewer people in the younger demographic, we're going to see new innovative products. My guess is that that dishwasher that Renita was talking about with the, uh, the stuff on top that you can see is going to evolve into, well, that doesn't help me with the bending issue, so we need to create a... Now, there are dishwashers that pull out like drawers. Um, custom homes, a lot of times larger custom homes will have drawer dishwashers and there's two levels and uh, you can put them up as high or low as you want to and so then you alleviate the bending issue. My recommendation is just do the dishes in the sink and be done with it if it's just you. All right, All right. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So to your point, so it's a team effort in your house to do dishes. And I think that's smart uh, for a couple of reasons, obviously, because you have mobility challenges, right? And so I'm going to just speak to the women in the room for a second, okay? Ladies, men, you're not going to like this, so you can just tune me out. And you know how to do that, I know. So, um, so ladies, it, there becomes a point where if it is not functional for you anymore, you've got to say so and you've got to stand up for yourself and if you're the dishwasher in the household then say that now at my house chris is going to have to tell me because i don't do dishes as much as he does but in most of the households that i go to the women covertly say to shannon and i he has no idea how hard this has gotten for me don't they and the reason that they're looking to make a change is because he's going about his daily business and you're doing all these things and you're being polite and kind and sweet and you're trying to save money and you're not wanting to rock the boat. And he's in there in his recliner watching football and he's perfectly fine with how the dishes are being unloaded. So if it's the other way around, I apologize. If the men in the household at your place do the dishes, then just swap it. But most of the time it's the other way around. Well, and often people will say, well, my dishwasher's not broke, so that means I shouldn't replace it. But I want you to think right. about it a different way, that your dishwasher may not be broke, but what will it cost for you if you break an arm or a leg because you're using that dishwasher rather than purchasing one that will be better accommodation for you? Do the math, and I'm betting that a new dishwasher is cheaper than... Chiropractor. Uh, uh, well, broken, uh, <laughs> something that's broken and having right. to go to physical therapy and the whole list. Yeah, for sure. You, yeah. you can also Some sell point. that old dishwasher somewhere right. and yeah. put it towards your new one. And I wanted to say, too, it's a good idea for you, regardless of what you're going to change out, 
to go look at a lot of different ones because even with mine, I thought I was really, really smart to get the, the microwave with the controls on the front and the dishwasher with the controls on the top, which is great, I love that, but on the inside of my dishwasher, it's, it's uh, stainless. And I have trouble seeing stuff in my dishwasher now because it's dark in there. And the same with my microwave, it's not white on the inside, it's black or stainless. So, um, so I have trouble with that. So it's a, it can really be a trade-off. I, I will keep the microwave because I really like the controls on the front. <laughs> I know what I put in there, so I know what's in there. But on the dishwasher, the next time around, I absolutely would look for one that had a white inside. Well, and I guess if money were no object, like if we, if we had all the money in the world, we could probably have that thing custom made, right? With a white interior or whatever. But we don't. Most of us are buying off the shelf. And so do, do your homework is what you're saying. Yeah. All right, good. Uh, I've been over here, so I want to make sure I don't miss your questions. Yes. Oh, great question, yeah. So she would love any innovative ways to handle laundry because when you have to reach down into a laundry um, hamper or something, or even the washer dryers, right? Um, has anybody thought of that? And, uh, a lot of people will use lips. So you, whether it's custom cabinetry or even just a step, a lift for your appliances, uh, you know, front load versus um, top load and things like that and kind of, you know, sometimes it's just people who are shorter than others that can't reach <laughs> to the bottom of a, a top load. So uh, figuring out personally what works for you, but I would say um, a lift um, of, ca of cabinetry. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's just a matter of building a, a very simple, heightened, right, platform. You don't have to custom build that. You, you can do that in your own house. Sure. And so with, uh, I've seen other people, too, with the hampers and that kind of thing. They don't use hampers anymore. They use laundry baskets and they set the baskets on top of a shelf um, rather than a hamper. I'll tell you what my biggest problem is these days, and I realized this the other day, is digging the socks down out of the washing machine, trying to reach all of them, and sometimes I can't reach them. And uh, I'm pretty sure my washing machine eats socks um, and then spits them back out months later, but I, I honestly think it's because I can't reach all of them. I, a grabber, and I'm, I'm in the, that's the grabber is the next thing. The grabber, we were talking about that at the library, I can assure you. Good. Okay, any, yes ma'am. Um, there many, how about installing elevators in two-story? Great question. All right, question is, what about elevators in two-story homes and installing those into a current home, not building them in? Let's start with that. Shannon? It's going to be a really good conversation piece at the library, so that's not my expertise, but I will tell you the questions I would ask is I don't see it very often because traditionally there's two things that come into play. One is cost effective and second is the number of um, codes that you have to bring a house up to to meet that standard. So I'm not an expert in either of those because I, I can tell you I've not come across, the most elevators I come across is at Spanish Cove. Um, but beyond that, usually people don't. And so it's, those are the two reasons that Part I'm the, told. The code thing is electric, isn't it? Just having yes. enough juice. And I'll tell you, uh, and let me just, I'm gonna get on my soapbox for just a second. There are commercials out there, whether they're online or on the television or whatever, for all these great things like elevators and all this. 
And I'm going to tell you that they make it look great, like the walk-in bathtub. That's my one of my least favorite things. It's not safe for a lot of people. But the elevator thing, I did a bunch of research on this a year or two ago for another panel. And what I found was that the ones that are marketing to seniors who have two-story houses are not big enough to get a walker in, much less a wheelchair into. And so it... It, here's the, I measured, I took the measurements from the ad and drew a, with tape on the floor and stood in it and went, huh, I could get up and down the stairs, but once I got up there, I'm in trouble because I would have no mobility device. So you'd have to put your walker downstairs and upstairs, and anytime you got off of that thing, you'd have to switch mobility device. One, correct. Yeah. And then the other piece of that is I can tell you that, um, Local businesses that I interact with, that they're right now struggling finding people to fix the elevators that they have. So that would be another question I would have. Again, I don't have answers, but I can tell you those would be the questions I would have before that. And you have to have the floor space upstairs to be able to get in. Yeah. Nikki, there may be another solution besides buying an elevator. Yeah. And that would be like my friend who is currently building a small home, a tiny home in the backyard, and the kids are going to move in the two-story house, and so they can go up and down the stairs. Plus, they've got a promise to caregiving. So there are many options available. We just need to be really resourceful. Right, absolutely. And you know, guys, I, unless you have a house that for whatever reason you just aren't going to give up, and I can't think of a lot of people who have that house, you're almost, from a cost-effective resale standpoint, better off selling that two-story house and moving into a one-story house. And I'm going to make a projection, and this is going to be totally just a projection on my part, but over the next two decades, guys, we're going to see a decline in home values of two-story houses, particularly those that are older, built in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, because there's going to be less demand for them. So if you're sitting in a two-story house or, God forbid, a tri-level house, um, and there are still some of those out there, and you're thinking to yourself, I'll move at some point, and you're thinking you're going to gain equity, we are struggling to sell two-story houses. In Oklahoma, we are a ranch-style home community. Two-story homes are not the norm, even in Oklahoma. Elevator so, or not. Yeah, they never no, Yeah, I know. But anyway, so two-story homes are still the rarity in Oklahoma rather than norm so going forward that's still she's absolutely correct yeah yeah even younger families are moving away toward uh, moving away from two-story homes yeah so food for thought now is better than later yes sir uh, they do have the uh the motorized chairs yep they will go yeah Sure, so to your, to your point, the, the chair lifts is what we call those. So the motorized chairs that go up the stairs, better option? They, they're a much better option than an elevator. They're, they're not intrusive in your house, believe it or not. They're easy to install. Um, and they're for cost and what you get out of it. The use, you're paying for the use. The use is well worth it. I've been very surprised at what they cost and how easy they are to install. If you can use them now, Eddie, I'm going to ask you because I don't know the answer to this. Would Kathy have been able to use one of those chair lifts that goes up a staircase uh, toward her latter part of life when her mobility really got bad? She probably it wouldn't have been very convenient for her because she was large. And uh, then what would she do after she gets upstairs? Right. She really it would have been a two-person job. Set of equipment upstairs as well. Yeah, so it would have been a two-person job plus the equipment. So when you're thinking, you know, this might work for me today, but what happens 
a year from now or five years from now if I, my legs don't work as well once I get up there. It's different. I think about it like if somebody has knee surgery or hip surgery, it's great. It's a great temporary solution, but long term, maybe not the best solution. Yeah. All right, we have time for one last question. Yeah, Martha? Just kind of a comment. Wherever you are for your forever home, whether it's in an individualized house or in a community such as a Concordia or Spanish Cove, make sure that you know the people that are your neighbors because they're the ones that will be able to respond to your needs. Whether you have somebody that's related to you 20 minutes yeah. away or whatever. Uh, so we, I'm, I'm, we live in a single house for 20 years and you three of our neighbors. So I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase for everybody, okay? So Martha, we just helped Martha and Johnny move to Spanish Cove, and they live in a, uh, a unit that has four apartments upstairs and four apartments downstairs. And you guys know all of them now, don't you? Yeah. But in their previous home, to your point, you only knew three of your neighbors, right? And so I'm gonna just kind of leave us with this thought as we thank our panelists, what Martha said, and and reiterating what Marilyn said. Um, your house is important because you live in your house and there are things that need to be um, considered for your environment, but there's also people. You cannot age in place successfully regardless of your senior living community or at home uh, in a neighborhood without other people. And so get to know your neighbors, um, meet the neighbors on either side, maybe meet the neighbor across the street and take them a uh, pie or take them a casserole or take them some cookies or something because there may be a day that you're going to need to know those folks and you may not like them but i bet you a hundred bucks they'll come to your aid uh in the in the in the moment of especially here in oklahoma and this is a great place to live yes. where we all like each other right and we pay attention so can we give our panelists a big round of applause before we leave these guys are going to exit the stage and they're going to be back over here at the tables and so I'm going to recommend y'all find them and that you uh, engage with them for any final questions you may not have gotten answered so thank you guys again if you guys want to go ahead and do that um, and if you don't have time today to talk with them personally there is on your evaluation form there is a place that says uh, something along the lines of, do you have any unanswered questions or uh, is there something else that you need? You can write it in there and one of our team members will reach out to you, get a little more information and then pass that to the appropriate person. Uh, I'm gonna get the attention of those of you who are new to this program, okay? I wanna, I wanna make sure I emphasize something, okay? If you're new and this is your first time here, this group of people, including my husband and I and Shannon and all the folks who have businesses, this is not intended to sell you anything. We are not going to put you on a mailing list. You're not going to get a bunch of marketing materials. This is about education. We leave it up to you to call us if you have a need. There is an exception, and that's what I want you to hear me say. You're going to get two things probably, okay? You're going to get a letter in the mail that's going to tell you thank you for coming and we would like to invite you to the next event. 
And that's going to have a phone number on it if you want to call and ask questions, you can. And you're probably going to get a phone call from someone, either Danielle or Naomi. You saw them earlier. And they're going to ask you how it was. Did you have a good time? Did you find it okay? How did you like the panel? Do you have any questions that didn't get answered? That's a perfect opportunity for you to say, yes, I, I thought of a question on my way home, and then they will pass that question on. Don't mistake that phone call for a sales call. It is not. It is completely our way of doing customer service uh, for this seminar, okay? Um, and then also somebody pointed out to me that when Danielle called them this week that the phone number was unfamiliar and that it showed it was coming from like Wetumpka or Wynette or somewhere. <laughs> um, and so you might want to program that phone number in your phone under uh, Truth Series or under Danielle or something like that. And Naomi and, and Danielle are going to work on that to see if we can make that a more... Um, familiar way for you to get those phone calls but just so you know uh, she will always leave a message and she will always leave her phone number for you to call her back so if that number comes up and you don't answer unknown callers which is fine I don't either you'll know okay does that does that make sense everybody say yes okay great so last but not least guys here are the upcoming seminars so write these down and you'll need to register if you haven't already so we have a head count the first one I'm going to tell you about is not one that I'm putting on, but it's putting, being put on by the villages. They have decided this year they are putting on a program that is going to be monthly, and it's going to be held at the uh, Our Lord's Lutheran Church. It's called Senior Life Skills uh, Learning, and it is this first one that they're doing is called How to Fall Correctly. How many of you know how to fall the right way? Uh, the right way is just don't do it, right? <laughs> but the fact is, it happens. So they're going to have, there's an occupational therapist they have that is amazing, and she's going to be talking about if you fall, this is the best way to keep from hurting yourself. Um, and so I encourage you to, to check into that or let others know about it. Then we have another program for the Truth Series I mentioned earlier on the 24th at the Northwest Library. And we're going to get a little bit more detailed on the accessibility items, not just house stuff, but all kinds of different things. Like, and you're going to be able to touch and feel, and they're going to have some demonstrations from Able Tech, uh, which will be fun. And then the last one is next month. Uh, every month going forward, we'll be back here at the crossings. And the next topic is the truth about retirement living, what to expect in the next decade. And just a little commercial on that one. So much has changed when it comes to retirement communities and 55 and older neighborhoods like Anna was describing. And people are like, what? I'm not moving right now, but maybe in a few years. And so what we're going to talk about is what are some of the things that you can expect, whether it relates to the types of communities, what the pricing is going to do, um, what the ownership is going to look like. I mean, we're just going to talk about all kinds of things. Uh, that are going to be new and different in the coming decades. So uh, just to bring everybody up to speed uh, on that. So that is not a topic we've done in the past. It's brand new. Um, you'll see some familiar faces, but the information is really kind of something we've 
we've been talking about. We just haven't presented. Okay? So does that sound like a good plan? Say yes. All right. Wonderful. So I will see you guys hopefully at one of these next seminars. If not, I'll see you next month. And uh, have a blessed rest of your day. Thanks for coming.